record on the cloud. Should I record as well, or I guess? Uh, it's been working. I think it should be fine. Every time um, I do it, it okay, because mine, okay. It breaks on you? Yes. I think, I, oh. honestly, I think, I think it's because uh, it takes so much space. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I'm able to record it to the cloud, so it, um, it really uh, doesn't have to bother my computer. Okay, so I'm recording. Let's do it. Hello, and welcome to the Blockchain Journal Club. I'm Carlos. And I'm Perry. Hello, Perry. Long time no see. About a week. About a week, and this is a weekly podcast, so, so it makes sense. Right on schedule. No reason to talk to each other outside of this. <laughs> and we don't. Nope. Strictly business. Yeah, of course. Um, so how's it going? How's your weekend? Pretty good. Pretty good. Nothing special. Just, uh, you know. Well, you submitted your thesis, for, according to our listeners. This is the first time they hear about that. I don't think so. Oh, really? We already talked about this? Yes, I think so. That you submitted? Oh, yeah. You have a defense date now, right? Uh, tentative. It hasn't been tentative. confirmed. But it's for sure on Zoom. From my understanding, yeah. Man. Well, it's in July, so it's in a month. So it's, yeah. it's on Zoom. That sucks. It's all right. I really don't like that. Well, your, your defense might also be on Zoom, so. Do you know if McGill is, um, I think they're going to go back to classes, no? In the fall? Like physical classes. My understanding is they can't because uh, people are, if people are, can't get into the country, say, so they can, according to my mom, who's flying back in July. Okay. Well, I don't know what the status is on that. Maybe she hasn't looked into it. <laughs> she just she's just winging it. Hope, hopefully, she gets in. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Am I allowed to leave the country? I don't know. Maybe there's like a list of countries you can go to or can't go to. I have no clue. I think if you're a citizen, maybe you're like you always are allowed to go back. No, like maybe that's a right you have. Yeah, but maybe if people are. Like people come from other places to study at McGill. Oh, those people. Yeah, that's true. Maybe they can't come in and then it's like, it's not fair to leave the classes. Uh, yeah, that's true. I don't know. I, I don't know. What they, originally they said that the next semester is going to be online and now they're saying maybe not. I, I have no clue. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, nice. So you're starting to prepare your, uh, your slides. Slowly, slowly. Man, that's going to take forever. <laughs> yeah, it's going to take forever. 20, oh no, 30 minutes. That's much yeah, better. I think it's 30 minutes, yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, um, so what do you think of all the riots? Let's get political. <laughs> um, I don't know. I have, I have no opinion, honestly. No I opinion? Mean, like, what, your question is, what do I think about the riots in what sense? I mean, you know, uh, do you think they're, they're doing something worthwhile? Do you think it's a productive thing to do? Is it, I think, is it justified? Uh, is it warranted? I think the problem with these riots right now is people are very worried about Corona. And oh, this yeah. is the, this is the worst thing you could possibly do for Corona. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it is a bunch like thousands of people getting together outside, like just spitting at each other. Yeah. It's the worst. I mean, it's going to be an interesting experiment, right? See what happens. I'm expecting a spike in the next two weeks in cases of, uh, yeah, there will be a spike for sure, but, um, a, a significant spike, I think. According to like, uh, this, uh, what was his name there? John Ioannidis. Yeah. Uh, infection, uh, and even the CDC, they updated their mortality estimates to 0.04%. Okay. 
So it seems like it's not as definitely way, way less uh, dangerous than the initial estimates, right? I don't know if the initial estimates, like, I don't know if in the beginning there weren't enough resources to help the people that were like on the, on the border of like life and death. Uh And you know, some more people were dying Mm -hmm. and now that things have slowed down, maybe they can like save the people that were on the border. I think it's more like they were just taking the number of people in the hospital and dividing it by the number of people that died, you know? Mm. And it's it's like not uh, taking into account the people that had no symptoms. Yeah. Or just didn't go to the hospital, I guess. Or didn't go to the hospital. Yeah. And then I think initially they were like, people were really going to the hospital for, uh, for anything, you know? Mm. And it's, it's, and if it spreads in hospitals, it's going to get to like sick people faster, you know? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it's uh, pretty interesting. I'm, I'm wondering what the markets are going to look like. Actually, I haven't checked today, but it seems like America is going into a civil war. So I don't know what that means for the stock market. <laughs> the stock market has no conscience. S&P is in the green. <laughs> you know, well, why every major city is on fire right now. <laughs> that's cool. Money to be made. Yeah. Unbelievable. But you know, this is a block. This is a blockchain journal club. So maybe we should. Uh... No, I think we should pivot and make it into a news commentary. I think. <laughs> okay. We don't I read the news though. But... It's all I've been talking about. Well, we don't read about blockchain either. Okay, fine. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. We do. We do. We read this. I read part of this paper. Okay, so let's start. Um. Okay, blockchain journal club. Uh, we discuss one, uh, or I guess part of one for this week paper uh, regarding blockchain technology per week. Uh, and uh, we try to go uh, in depth. So uh, we're going to, this is, uh, we picked a, a pretty big one. So we're going to go like uh, in multiple parts through it. And uh, it seems like a pretty cool paper. Um, and uh, and so yes, let's ho- just dive right in. Let me yes, show my ho- screen. Hopefully Come we can on. keep these a bit shorter. If we go through sections of the paper at a time, we can keep these maybe at like the 20 or 30 minute mark. Yeah, we've been going into an hour and a half. I don't know how that, how that is uh, well, we can't, like we can't, if people we, like that i don't know we, well we can't get worse in terms of listeners right that's that's very true <laughs> so yeah we can only go up from here absolutely so let's um, go let's, let's go. go let's go up all right it's 10 minute mark oh my god <laughs> um okay so the paper we chose for today is called the decentralized financial crisis attacking defi and this is across the board by authors from the Imperial College of London. Um, so first author, Lewis Gudgeon. And uh, Benjamin Lipschitz is uh, the last author. I don't know. I, maybe he's a prof. Let's give him a quick Googling. Lipschitz. Wow. Strict, actually that. N- no S-C-H. Uh, ben Lipschitz. Um he is a associate professor, affiliate professor, Washington chief scientist for Brave Software. Oh, wow. There so he's, he's in charge of the browser that I'm using right now to Google him. <laughs> um, oh, okay. I don't know what, what his topic is. Okay, research themes. Security, privacy, nice. program analysis. Okay, this is, yeah, this is the guy you want studying, Defi. Okay. Cool. He's looking for PhD students, Perry, if you want to go for a second one. Is that what he says? Okay. Looking for capable PhD students and postdocs. Nice. All right, cool. So this is, um, I guess, coming from someone with experience in in security. Um, 
maybe we should go over the, the motivations, right? Yeah, let's I mean, we go. Step and I step. like, uh, I, I should say, I thought this paper from, from what I haven't gone through the later sec, latter sections, but I thought it was very nicely written. Um, almost like a very aristocratic tone to it, I found. It was like oh. super like uh, elegant, elegant writing and like very confident, you know? Uh-huh. Straight to the point. I love it. I really <laughs> liked it. Uh, okay. Do we know if this is published anywhere uh, or it's just a preprint? Uh, well, it's, it's well, it's relatively new as a preprint. It is quite new, yeah. It's February. Yeah, so it's still a preprint, one citation. Okay, so this hasn't been reviewed yet. So buyer beware. Okay. Um, I like the, how they started here. The global financial crisis of 2008 uh, caused by excessive financial risk, inspired Nakamoto to create Bitcoin. You think that's true? He was inspired by the crisis? Didn't he, didn't he put some commentary in the first block? Yeah, I think so. So I guess he was inspired. So like the year it happened, that same year he invented Bitcoin? Or I mean, I, th- I would mm. imagine it takes a while to come up with something like Bitcoin. No, maybe the white paper came out that year and then like he... he, he, he... Oh, he like presented it in that... Uh, in that the white paper? And then like in 2009 maybe it came out? I'm not sure. Yeah, uh, it's true. Yeah, I think it came out two thousand nine. Anyway, okay. So, um, it one of the the benefits that Bitcoin brought about is that it's a financial asset that is not uh, regulated by any sort of centralized institutions, right? Um, which, I guess, in a very complicated way, was the problem that brought the financial crisis of 2008. I mean, I'm not an expert on this. I did watch The Big Short with uh, Steve Carell and uh, Ryan Gosling. So you're basically an expert. I mean, yes, <laughs> I can't claim to be the, the expert. Steve Carell still knows more about this than me for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but I guess uh, the bottom line is that the financial uh, system was very complicated, I guess. There was a lot of like kind of arbitrariness and, uh, you know, shady things happening that eventually blew up, right? Lack of transparency, right? Yeah, lack of transparency. So they, they bring that up in the paper. And I mean, I don't know if there was a lack of transparency because in the big short, um, Christian Bale is reading these reports of like, you know, the the loans that are, are being passed as uh, whatever, uh, five stars, whatever, triple A, and were actually bad loans, right? So someone found out before it happened. So you just think it's like people are hypnotized by the returns or something? Yeah, it could be. I mean, they show it, right? Again, I mean, big short. If you you move your mouse up three lines or four lines, the lack of transparency. Yeah, so several reasons, but arguably chief among them was lack of transparency regarding the amount of risk major banks were accumulating. Maybe the the point is, yeah, the the, the loans are bad, but maybe it was like overrepresented overrepresented in the portfolios of the banks. The yeah, I mean, right? in the movie, they show, they go to see this like loan agency that's like supposed to rank the loans. And just all and, AAA. Yeah, they were just giving everything like AAA loans. And um, when actually like, if you look, it wasn't. So yeah, I guess that's some something of somewhat of a lack of transparency and also like arbitrariness, right? Like someone had the power to just rank, you know, give these loans a, a rating and no, but I don't. I don't even know. Like you see, like here it says Lehman Brothers has six hundred thirteen billion dollars in debt. Yeah, I don't know if that was like public knowledge, right? 
Really? I, I feel like any uh, public company has to un- disclose all of its yeah, debt, right? Yeah, but you know, the assets, I, I'm not sure. Maybe you have to really read the papers. Okay, maybe that's not tra- that's transparent though, I guess, if they, if they show you all their assets. Yeah, and also I think the agencies that um, like rate loans are also kind of like private reputation-based companies, you know, like they're, it's just so, like, look, my job is to evaluate loans. And if you trust me, go for it. If not, take someone else, you know? Okay. Yeah. Cause I remember in the movie also, they're like, if we don't give them AAA, someone else will. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So whatever, I, I guess um, maybe it's also that um, it, it's kind of hard to really get, have access to this kind of data mm-hmm. uh, and doing things uh, in a more transparent way might be beneficial. Um, so yeah, and they said that the exposure was compounded by the fact that the bank had a leverage ratio of 30x, which I think means they had more debt than uh, than assets or something like that. Or 30 times uh, more, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So uh, in this context, uh, people, I think uh, maybe like a very recurrent push right now is for moving a lot of the financial instruments to a decentralized system with uh, basic blockchain as the backbone. Um, so initially you could probably, I mean, you could use Bitcoin, right? And that would be just currency, but you can imagine more complicated things like loans and, and uh, stocks and things like that, um, mm-hmm. that could also be uh, placed on a decentralized system. And that's what this uh, DeFi uh, kind of system is decentralized finance. So um, so yeah, they say that it pertains to lending, exchange of assets in a decentralized way and markets for derivatives, derivatives, which are what, like shorts, uh, things like yeah. that? Options, I guess. Yeah. Um, and this has to work without any uh, central authorities, right? If it's decentralized, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the main issues that they discuss is, um, so the, I guess the, the what they're trying to do in this paper is first like model DeFi protocols. So I think DeFi is actually like a bunch of different uh, modules or tools, right? That have some standardized way of communicating with each other. Um, that can give you different uh, sort of assets, right? Um, so, yeah, so yeah. I think, yeah, go on. I mean, I think is DeFi or DeFi, DeFi is just decentralized finance, right? Yeah. So it's all these protocols people have developed to put like everything a bank can provide or financial institution can provide on a blockchain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, there's, I guess there's some standard protocols that they're using and they're trying to, they're going to model them. And a lot of them have different rules. So they pick the biggest one, which is called maker. Yeah. Which is an Ethereum token. Yeah. And I think it's basically, um, it's just letting people borrow money. Right. I I think what it does is it, it, it it gives you a stable asset, a stable token Mm -hmm. called the die, I think. That uh, who's printing and like uh, the way it's produced depends on some very mathematical uh, on, on a very precise mathematical uh, foundation. Uh huh. Yeah. So, so you get die now. So it lets you 
create these die tokens. But these die tokens are created only uh, based on some mathematical formulations. Okay. So the goal, the whole point of that is so that that token is stable, right? And if you have a stable yeah. token, then you can have a good way to like hedge a loan, right? Or or whatever. Um, yeah. You, escrow. I mean, yes. Yeah. Okay. Maybe we'll go in depth on on Maker at some point. Yeah. So um, Maker, but Maker, I think, is a way to create these dies. You have to buy these Maker tokens and, uh, you know, stake them or whatever, or put them in some sort of uh, escrow, like you said, to create these yeah. die tokens. Makes sense. Okay, so this paper claims to be the first to quantitatively assess the financial security of DeFi protocols or DeFi. Um, and so what they do first is they kind of present a formal definition of what these protocols are. Uh, and then given that, they put it under various situations of stress and see if uh, the way it's set up right now is safe uh, in case of uh, either like malicious attacks or um, large shifts in the value of some assets, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of their contribution. They also want to. They, uh, yeah, they're also coming up with some attacks, right? Specific attacks to Maker, for example. Yeah. Yeah. So I have, we haven't. Uh, I don't think we'll cover that today. But uh, no. that's kind of their their last part. Yeah. Um, I think today we are, we're just going to introduce uh, the motivations of the paper and uh, def how they define these protocols and define their objectives, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so this is section two that we're going to focus on, it's an overview of decentralized finance. Um, and they, they say that there's three core properties, right? Um, so it's the types of identities that people using these uh, systems have. Um, the types of agents in the protocol and the existence of economic cycles. Okay. So this is where they give their formal definition of a decentralized finance system. A peer -to -peer I, guess, yeah, yeah, I guess the point here is like they're saying like 2008 and there was this huge financial crash. There might be a huge financial decentralized finance crash happening because people don't understand the technology that's being used and how they're, how it's being used to store money or save money or lend money or yeah so i'd be curious um oh, go on, sorry. yeah so the, the, we might be in a similar situation now with these decentralized products even though they're more they're more uh, transparent and more fair if people that are using them don't understand what's happening like these people that didn't understand what the loans they were investing in represented we might be in for another crash in this decentralized finance Yes. And I, I wonder if, I wonder if at the end they're going to say, we found these attacks and they're, uh, here's a way to fix them or this thing is never going to work. Right? Um, yeah, we'll find out. But at least, you know, I think this is a step in the right direction because at least someone was able to write a paper about how this is going to crash, you know, like by construction. Um, yeah. Whereas, you know, with uh, sort of the centralized banking systems, it's kind of hard to, to, you know, go through the whole system and understand it really. I think, but I think the problem even here is like, th there's a social aspect, right? That's very hard to model, I think. But do they model that? I think they just, uh, I mean, I think we can talk about the agent types, right? No, um, but what I'm saying is like, you know, they talk about, um, they talk about like a, a huge, a, a quick change in price. Yeah. So theoretically, you can always model something as, you know, the price varying slowly. Mm-hmm. 
but socially, you know, in reality, it might change very quickly just because of some black swan event or some social aspect. Sure. Which I think is very hard to model in general. True. We have um, a similar, we have a similar problem when we talk about this uh, quick blockchain. Mm-hmm. It's like these social things are very hard to know. Like it's, it's crazy to me that Satoshi figured out the social thing would work, how the social thing would work as well. Um, for Bitcoin. Yeah, for Bitcoin. But what did he say how it would work like that? I don't know. Like mining, mining would grow exponentially or something? Or like why are miners getting together to like double spend or something, you know? Like, I, I don't know. It just yeah. works. Yeah, for like sure. Like his, his assumptions are met, you know? Like, I don't know how to say it. He is a saint, <laughs> to be sure. Um, yeah, definitely. But I think they... Uh, they focus really on like strictly the protocols, right? And then sure. just assumes some behaviors. Um, and I don't know like to what degree, uh, you know, the stock market or like current lending structures are secure against huge fluctuations in prices, right? I think that's why they have these, uh, you know, that's why there's the Fed and, um, and central banks to protect against, theoretically protect against uh, very strong fluctuations in currency values, right? Um, yeah, which may be something as you can, it might be something you can bake into these types of uh, systems. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Okay. But no, at the end of the day, like the world, you're right. I guess at some point it makes contact with the real world, right? Where things yeah. are unpredictable. Like you have riots and you know, you can't really, uh, that, that at, is someone's going to pay for that eventually. Right. I mean, um, it's hard to input that into code, right? Yeah, for but sure. In case, in case of riot, do this, you know, like, or in case of, yeah, These or in case events. of COVID, right? Yeah. The unpredictable things. And maybe that's why you need a central authority to say, in this case, I'm doing the one, I'm the one that's just going to fix it, you know? Yeah. Um, and yeah, maybe like you can't just always have an equation to do it for you. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Absolutely. Um that's what that's what I always find funny about these like decentralized things, right? The, the more you try, the more problems you try to solve with it, the more you just end up reinventing the wheel. And like um, adding a central authority. To yeah. These things. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's true. You, you, the formula you have to write to make to make a blockchain work for everything is has infinite parameters. For sure. You know, like, I don't know. But maybe uh, on a small scale and with certain like reasonable assumptions, you can. Uh, you know, you can have uh, something that people prefer to use somehow. Yeah, I think, yeah. Like, I think, I I think Bitcoin, you know, it's a very simple thing, right? It does one very, one thing and it doesn't. It's it's success, right? Like, uh, it might be, people might see that it's very volatile and might say that that's, you know, definitely not something you want a currency to but that's like a social currency, right? It's a social thing, that right? Like the volatility. The volatility. It's because you measure it in terms of U.S. dollars. Like you, you yeah. can say the U.S. dollar is volatile in terms of Bitcoin, for example. Okay. Yeah, that's true. So it's like this. That's still a social thing, in my opinion. But yeah, it's hard to code that, right? Like uh, it does. Absolutely. Bitcoin does what it's supposed to do, and the, the there are flaws, but I guess they're they're limited. No, you're right. I, I guess Bitcoin like successfully turned cash digital, like fully. You know. And decentralized. Yeah. But cash is, I mean, if you forget that the way cash is printed, if you imagine that cash was like backed by gold, yeah. then that's, that's exactly the job it does, right? It, 
it lets you transfer ownership um, and uh, it and it con- takes care of the fact that supply should be limited and all this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that if you have a very simple goal, then maybe you can come up with something that works. It seems like the Duffy uh, project is is trying to slowly like expand that, right? Yeah. Um, and um, and yeah, okay. So let's let's go into their definition of it. Um, so it's a peer-to-peer financial system which leverages distributed ledger-based smart contracts to ensure its integrity and security. I think maybe that's a fair definition. They don't say anything about it being decentralized other than in the name, right? Because they do say that some of these uh, DeFi protocols have some centralized authority. So mm-hmm. um, maybe that's an option, right? I guess. Or maybe it's just built in this distributed ledger, right? That's I mean, the decentralization. You, yeah, I guess, I guess so. But I, I, I imagine you can have a distributed ledger with central authorities, right? Uh, yes. And sure. There's already tons of uh, blockchains that do that. Yeah. I mean, uh, we talked about it last time, right? With uh, EOS. Right. Um. So, all right. So they say a DeFi protocol. Uh, they give it the name Pi. Operates on top of a layer one blockchain. Uh, with standard ledger functionality, so simple, you know, adding blocks, tra- have blocks have transactions in them, and uh, you have miners keeping track of all this, right? Yep. Um, so the the main pro- property is that a transaction cannot be modified or reversed. Um, and then uh, they go to the Byzant- Byzantine faults, which is something we talked about last episode uh, that Jacob very, in a very nice way explained. Um, so they assume that at most one third of the participants in these networks are dishonest, right? Yeah. Um, and I forgot to Google selfish mining attacks, actually. Do you know what that is? Uh, no. Maybe we should, because I think uh, it came up on uh, in last week's episode. Um, selfish mining, an attack against the Bitcoin network. Do, do, do. This is so long. Just tell me what it is. <laughs> That's your Wikipedia page, you know? Selfish mining on Bitcoin. What is Bitcoin selfish mining? Cryptocompare.com. Here's an article about it. Selfish mining is an attack on the integrity of the Bitcoin network. It is where one miner or mining pool does not publish and distribute a valid solution to the rest of the network. Uh, oh. Selfish miner then continues to mine the next block and so on, maintaining its lead. When the rest of the network is about to catch up with the selfish miner, he or they release the portion of the solved blocks into the network. Okay. So you're just wasting other people's time, basically. Uh, yeah. You're, 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 you're cutting off the network from itself. And I guess that's why Jacob's uh, protocol is... This is one of the problems I guess we're trying to solve, right? Yeah. Where, where, where the network is compromised by messages not getting through. Yeah. But I don't know... Uh... Does this really give you an advantage? Well, if you have a, a large enough connectivity, I guess it does, right? Um, Even if it's seconds or, or, you know, like... I mean... You, you just don't tell people of a new block. And then they, they're, still, they're, they're, tr- they're, they're still trying to find the old block while you're working yeah. on the new block. And then when they're about to find the old block, you just release two blocks at one time. Yeah. Then your chain is longer than everyone else's and you get two rewards. Okay, sure. Yeah. I guess you don't let people compete on the next block, basically. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Sure. Makes sense. Um, but I think 
maybe uh, I don't know. I guess the specifics of it are, are are more complicated, but there might be some kind of game theory there, right? That sure. might be more beneficial to just publish and then mine. Yeah, because what if market. what if everyone is just mining two blocks at a time? You know, and then like, yeah, exactly. It's a social thing as well. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So these are the starting assumptions that there's some degree of honesty, um, and uh, they assume that it's kind of a stable blockchain, and uh, you know there's not that much, not selfish mining happening. So anyway, they're just saying, we're not going to worry about the blockchain itself. We're going to worry about protocols that work on top of it. Yep. And this is kind of a, this, uh, then they define the notion of an identity, which I thought was a very interesting discussion. And it's something that uh, reminds me of uh, projects we've worked on, right? With uh, the reputation systems. Um, so they, they say that there's two types of identity. Um, one is a weak identity, which is that there is, a mapping between an agent and its online identity, which is not one-to-one. So by an agent, it means like an actual individual person and an online identity, meaning some kind of user identifier. So it could be uh, a Bitcoin address. It could be uh, uh, sort of a, a specific unique ID and any kind of identifier that the network uses uh, and what its relationship is to an actual individual, right? And when it's a weak identity, it means that one person can have many identities online. So it could be an email address. It could be anything you want, right? Yeah. Um, and in the Bitcoin example, it's really, Bitcoin has weak identity where one person can have many identities on the blockchain. And uh, it might, you're, not, you're also not necessarily sure uh, that how the identities online are related to each other, right? Um, you just see you just see addresses, and you don't know if they all belong to the same person or if they're controlled by ten different people. Um, so this is the notion of weak identity. And then strong identity is uh, where you have a one-to-one correspondence between an agent and their identity online, right? And this would be more uh, what current financial institutions use, right? They're through government. Uh, uh, you know, identification systems and, uh, you know, birth certificates, any kind of, uh, I guess, social security. There's a connection uh, to the real world, right? To a real yeah, person. Yeah, that's it. Exactly. So you can't uh, assume a new identity to the bank. It's always going to be Pericles. And um, unless you do some crazy forgeries, um, you can assume that your identity uh, is always corresponding to one specific person. So like they say, in traditional finance, agents have strong identities. So this is uh, kind of the main thing that lets um, financial institutions not worry too much about um, the kinds of attacks that are going to be discussed in in decentralized finance, where, uh, you know, if you declare bankruptcy or if you default on a loan, uh, the banks can know that you're not trustworthy and they may impose higher interest rates on you or they may refuse to lend to you in the future. Um, So that's a benefit of having a strong identity system. Um, but usually it's, if you, if you don't want to have central authorities, uh, it's very difficult to enforce a strong identity system. So in decentralized systems, often you have weak identities and there, there's no cost to creating a new one, a new identity, right? So if you were to default on a loan, if you were to be a malicious person online, um, you can still behave that way in the future by just creating a new identity. I, mean, I guess the point is, it's a feature of these decentralized systems that the weak identity is there, right? Yeah, I guess, sure. In, in some can, cases, it's a feature. That's for sure. So there's always two sides to the coin. This can also be seen as a, a bonus, right? If, if um, you know, maybe you, you're not acting maliciously and uh, for some reason, uh, a central authority doesn't want to deal with you. Uh, 
And since they always know that, you know, they always have a link to you as a person, they can decide to block you from using any, any services, right? So in that sense, weak identities are, are a a good feature to have. Mm -hmm. Um, And they say that eventually there's things that are going to try to impose strong identities on the blockchain. And that would be kind of like the best thing to do in a way that's still not like pseudonymous, um, right? To be able to still hold users accountable without necessarily knowing anything about them as people. Right. Uh, so that would be the coolest. And I think that's probably where things like self-sovereign identity are going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe we'll have an episode on that because I'm very eager to learn more about that. Okay. Uh, then they say that there's uh, three types of agents. Um, one is an honest agent. So that that agent uh, is someone who follows the rules and um, no matter what, they uh, they do what the protocol was designed to do, right? Uh, a rational agent is someone who will always try to maximize their own gain, right? But still using the rules of the protocol. And then an adversarial agent is someone who will do whatever it takes to disrupt the the system, right? Um, at the same time as they're maximizing their payoff. So I think this part I wasn't too clear on. Like, is an adversary someone who just wants to destroy the protocol or is it someone that wants to maximize their profits at the any expense to the protocol you know what i mean I think, I think it's the second one you said like it's like you don't care about the rules you're just gonna you you would steal or whatever yeah but while always with the motivation of your making own the most money gain, right yeah. yeah exactly okay um i guess the hmm. rational person would would if, if he finds a, a a mistake in some smart contract he would steal the money mm-hmm. without breaking the protocol the adversarial agent would break the protocol to steal the money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so this, this brings uh, the authors to like the sort of the main um, paradigm behind these decentralized finance protocols is that in the, in the setting where you have weak identities, you need to still provide some kind of security to the lender. So I, I think the, the main focus, the main scenario is that people, uh, there are two parties and one party wants to borrow money from another one. Right. Yep. Um, and usually uh, in the back, when you go to the bank, uh, they trust you enough uh, to just give you money. Right. Uh, and charge an interest. Yeah, uh, but well, I mean, here, yeah, I guess when in the, in the real world, you, 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 you back the loan with, with your strong identity, right? Exactly. Yeah. The strong identity is some sort of backing for the loan here. That's right. When there's only weak identity. You have to put up some sort of asset. Mm-hmm. Back to back the loan as collateral, and Correct. it can be it can be your identity because your identity is worthless on the blockchain, right? Exactly, very nicely put, Pericles. I so, uh, so they say formally here that the borrower must give the lender something of at least equal value, so a security deposit that they call A, as it, and that the amount the value of that deposit A has to be at least as much as the amount or the value of what they wish to borrow, which they call B. Right. Um. And they give an example of something uh, like a, of why you would want to do this, right? Yeah, so there it is, the DeFi lending protocol model. And I think this might be the last thing we discuss, right? Um, so this is already section three, right? Oh yeah, we're already in section three, Jesus. <laughs> um, then maybe we're done. But 
maybe we can say quickly like why you would want to do this right like why would you want to give someone's worth more than what you already have right sure uh, so they say here that the borrowed asset b typically has higher properties uh, has different properties to asset a right uh, so for example you might want to uh, provide something that's highly volatile in exchange for something that's very stable right yep um and this is usually the way you do this uh, sort of the way you get an equivalence between these two different types of assets is using a third uh, asset which they call c um and um it's their governance mechanism right um but also i thought that okay so they everything is in in relation to a stable reference point right well yes i think one of the two assets a or b can give you a stable reference point and then you borrow yeah you know, B equivalents of A or however you want to put it. Yeah. You put up, you put up, like you put up one Bitcoin and then maybe that's worth 20 ether, mm -hmm. for example. So you get 20 ether for your one Bitcoin and then at a later date to get back your one Bitcoin, you have to give back 20 ether. Exactly. And if you end up never giving back uh, the Bitcoin, then you lost your 20 ether, right? Or maybe I said that backwards. Yeah, the reverse. If you never get back the 20 yeah. ether, you lose your Bitcoin. Yeah, exactly. So that's the, that's what they call collateralized borrowing. Yeah. Um, and then basically the govern the governance uh, aspect C is how uh, you know how to determine how much collateral to give and uh, you know uh, how that is affected by fluctuations in prices of things and 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 to see if the way it's set up is stable enough to deal with fluctuations and uh, you know n to make sure that it's never going to be beneficial for someone to default on their on their loan. Right. I guess it also decides on, on the interest for payments and stuff, right? Uh, yeah. Any. Yeah. So that's going to be probably in the next, uh, in the next episode. Yeah. So um, maybe, yeah. Yeah. I guess just to recap the, the whole point of these, uh, of these systems is to have the financial instruments that we have currently, but without, um, centralized authorities and, um, that also provide more transparency, right? Because all of all of the logic behind these uh, transactions is openly verifiable by everyone, right? Yep. And you know, you can know in in advance like how the rules are going to be applied. Yep. Uh, so that might be beneficial, right? You can always know how your interest rates are uh, derived, right? Mm -hmm. And if you don't agree with that, you can use a different one, or you can use the banks, whatever. Um, but what they always want to avoid is the situation where. Um, you end up having less to lose by being dishonest um, than by following the protocol, right? Right, exactly. So we want to we want to replicate the, the centralized or the, the the tools we have in this decent in the centralized system on a blockchain to make it decentralized. So have things like I guess um, loans and stuff without having a bank say you can't get this loan because I don't like your face or or whatever, right? Yeah. And to do that mathematically and precisely and uh, fairly, you need to come up with some rules to do this properly. What I'm wondering is why do you need like all these rules? Couldn't you just have a kind of marketplace, right? For borrowing and lending. And then, you know, guess, people just kind of agree on, on their prices and their collaterals, right? Uh, sure. Uh, but I guess, uh, well, I, I think this, this uh, C agent, I guess we'll get to next time. Mm -hmm. Is going to decide on when the payments have to be made. What happens if you skip a payment? What happens if you, uh, how much interest do you have to owe, you owe for X amount of time? All this stuff. Mm -hmm. 
or it could even be what the what the current price of the asset is right now. Maybe you know, maybe you owe more money because the asset went up or, or relative to the asset you gave as collateral. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know anything about this, but I'm, I'm guessing we're gonna we're gonna find out as we read this paper. We're gonna learn absolutely. But I guess I can always just ask you to lend me some money right now, right? <laughs> and sure. We can figure but, out what that is. I, I guess it's some kind of like template, right? To, but it's very it's very limited, right? You have to know me. Yeah, for sure. I, I want to be able to do this without trusting that you're gonna pay me back, right? Yeah, absolutely. And you and you want to be able to borrow from someone without with making sure that they're not gonna use the collateral you put up. Mm-hmm. Like what happens if I borrow 20 ether from you by giving you one Bitcoin and then mm-hmm. you spend that Bitcoin. Yeah. And then when I give you back a 20 ether, you're like, sorry, don't have your Bitcoin. <laughs> you, 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 I think you want, you need some, you need some agent that moderates this and like, and tells you that you're what you're allowed to spend when, but maybe if I miss a payment, you're allowed to spend half my Bitcoin, you know? Okay. You, you yeah. need some rules and you need some rules in place to, to, you know, you need a framework. Absolutely. Okay, so I think that's a very nice recap. Um, and next time we'll go into the more uh, nitty gritties. I guess the nitty gritties and their actual like what they find when they try to understand how these systems behave. Yeah, so I guess um, next one, the next one is like the actual protocols we're going to be looking. So yeah, at. that'll be what section three. Should we try yeah. to hit section three and four? Maybe just three. I don't know. Maybe three. Maybe we go very slowly on this one. We under, we try to understand everything. I like it. I like it. So next time, section three, I would say. There's five sections. How many sections? Five, six. My God. There might be seven, but that's eight. Related work is seven. So So we'll try to get section three next time, I think. think Yeah. All right. So we'll be on this for two months. One paper. Yeah. But I mean, it's cool. Like, it's cool to understand uh, these systems through, like, an attacker's point of view, right? Absolutely. It's always nice to, I mean, I think it just always gives a a good angle for understanding things in a, in a very thorough way. All right. I'm going to stop my share. Sounds good. And uh, I'll see you next Next week. week. We won't talk. We we will not stop. (laughs) We will not be in touch. (laughs) All right. (laughs) See you later. Bye. Bye. Stop recording.